In Texas, a bill would make mifepristone, the medication used in medical abortion, illegal nationwide. And it's the end of the world as we know it. A toxic spill in East Palestine threatens to poison pregnant women and generations of children. But it's in the U.S. Midwest, not the Middle East. And airplanes experiencing clear air turbulence has clearly become a problem, resulting in the death of former White House official Dana Hyde. And somehow it's supposed to be International Women's Month? We're here to help you get through it all. Our goal is to deliver a better future, one healthy baby at a time. We're the Green Docs, two OBGYNs talking about the environment and how it affects women's health and birth outcomes. My name is Bruce Bacar. I'm an OBGYN. I've been a climate activist since 2007, and I live on the beach in San Diego where I love to surf but don't do it very well. And I'm Nate DiNicola a perpetually post-call OBGYN in Newport Beach and the environmental health expert for our national and international OBGYN societies, as well as a part-time watch collector. So today we're talking International Women's Month, which we're in. There was also International Women's Day. Uh, some would argue every day should be that. And I never know quite to do with these, these themed months, but uh, nonetheless, we're in it. And so we're going we're gonna to play ball. Uh, but really what we're going to get to is how you might not have known how this topic interacts with the environment. To help us get there, we're going to be having an interview with Dr. Kristen Lyerly, an OBGYN in Minnesota and a former candidate for Congressional State Assembly. But first, let's review those headlines delivered we started with. Uh, Bruce, what did, you, what did you make of those headlines? Well, there's so much that we could talk about around this toxic train derailment. And one of the things that I learned is that it, it it's even bigger than just the chemicals that were being carried by the train, all the different toxics that either into the air or the soil have, have now been spread around in this area. But it's not just that. It's also uh, this derailment triggered a, a big chemical fire, and they use PFAS type of chemicals to put out chemical fires, which don't break down. So adding insult to injury is kind of a classic case here. Uh, it's even worse because of the fire that resulted and the way that they had to put out the fire. The other part of this that strikes me is the environment has got enough challenges going on right now, and we, any of us anywhere can certainly talk about that. But train wrecks in this day and age just strike me as kind of an unforced error. That, that if we can't even get a train rolling down the tracks to not fall off, it wasn't hit by a missile, it wasn't some distracted bus driver, it was literally a problem with a wheel bearing, which maybe they got from an old Pinto or something like that, but it just seems like one of those things that shouldn't happen anymore in 2023. Well, it, it, it's become the de facto term for a total disaster, right? This thing is a train wreck. Uh, <laughs> this, this situation in the office, it's a train wreck. It's a, I mean, that, that just... <laughs> The fact that we use that so commonly uh, emphasizes how, how uh, yeah, how, how just the, the, the level of, of awfulness around it. Uh, but also, I think there's a little bit of a subtext what you're talking about. Whenever you use that phrase, oh, what a train wreck, there's always something that seems a little bit avoidable about it, right? Like the train wreck, there's a little bit of, of something that was uh, neglect, not just bad luck. What, what, I, what I remember hearing about the story was uh, really interesting from TikTok, there was a, a woman who uh, is from the East Palestine, Ohio area, who had gone to a, like one of these town hall meetings. And there was a, uh, either a lawyer or somebody 
advising uh, people to go get tested for uh, one of the, the toxic chemicals in the spill, which was dioxin. Now, if you're not familiar, dioxin is a pesticide in current day use, but it's extremely toxic to humans. And it was originally used as Agent Orange back in Vietnam. So, so that, that's the level of toxicity this thing can have. What was so interesting wasn't that lawyers had picked up on this or that you know, town hall was directing people to get tested. It was that when the woman went to her doctor uh, to get the test done, the doctor said, sure, wrote the prescription, gave it to her. And when the woman appeared at the lab, uh, suddenly they were unable to do the test anymore. Uh, and this was a test that even the person who worked at the lab was like, yeah, we did this a few weeks ago. Uh, and they were confused as to how it suddenly was unavailable. And I guess one of the uh, other areas of injury that's going to occur is we're all going to have to endure the endless and repeating television commercials telling us that if we were anywhere near East Palestine, that we are entitled to a settlement and uh, here are the attorneys to talk to. And maybe even if you just had to hear enough of these commercials, you would be entitled to a settlement. I think that would only be fair. We're seeing it right now with Camp Lejeune. And that That's toxic right. spill, uh, full disclosure, I don't, this isn't confidential. I am one of the um, expert witnesses uh, informing uh, part of that case. And this has been going on for, for decades, you know, decades of exposure. And that's, that's really the rub with a lot of these environmental things. They don't just go away, right? They, they seep into the soil. They seep into the water. They, and then, relevant to, to what we do for a living, they, they can get into the human system and affect pregnancy, which is a, a lifetime of health effects. Um, okay, so so how about the clear air turbulence? What, what stood out to you about that? That's a really interesting topic. I mean, anybody who's flown has encountered turbulence, but apparently they, they grade these as mild, moderate, and severe. And recent predictions that I'm hearing now say that, that uh, turbulence, the most severe category, is expected to increase quite a bit due to the bizarre and uh, extreme weather patterns that we're seeing connected to climate change. So unfortunately, the kind of tragedy that that occurred with uh, this woman flying in a private jet is probably going to be happening more and more often to people flying everywhere and anywhere. And typically, turbulence, uh, my old job running the FAA, I learned this, uh, uh, usually only affects flights below 20,000 feet. Uh, or when you're around thunderstorms, where there's obviously a whole lot of uh, wind and weather going on. But clear air turbulence is different. It occurs out of nowhere, there's no warning, and it can be severe and really, really dangerous. So uh, unfortunately, this is yet another reason why we might just want to turn down the temperature and calm down the weather and make our flights uh, smoother when we actually solve climate change. Because you wouldn't want to spill your champagne in first class if you didn't have to. The, the, the real tragedy of all this would be, would be spilled uh, Vavlico. Are, are you a good flyer, Bruce? I hate flying. I absolutely hate it. Why? I, I, I'm, I'm not a especially good flyer. I, I travel quite a bit with, uh, for work and, and for conferences. I am, despite all that, I'm not a great flyer. The turbulence kind of gets me every time. And... Uh, Patients ask about this because uh, pregnant women travel on, on airplanes and this comes up all the time. Like, can I, am I allowed to travel? And if I am up till how many weeks? And typically, you know, ACOG doesn't have, our, our societies don't have really strong guidance on this. Uh, the main thing we can say is that it's not dangerous to the pregnancy. Uh, it used to be thought there was 
some like radiation that exposure that occurred just by being at that certain altitude and being on, so being on a plane created radiation exposure. Uh, part of this was sussed out initially with um, airline staff that had high rates of skin cancer. What they found out though was that it was really they were acquiring tons of frequent flyer miles and going to places on the beach where they were suntanning <laughs> and getting skin cancer. So there's no inherent risk with flying, but but still, pregnant women ask about it a lot. And up until very recently, I was telling them, yeah, basically you can travel up to a reasonable gestational age. We you know kind of pick 36 as a common number. We've got a, a list of things I give them to take uh, to the airplane with them, including you know like saying you can defer the X-ray exam. Uh, but I gotta tell you, more recently, I've had to really spell out for my patients like you're gonna encounter more turbulence than you're used to. Uh, it might be worse than you're expecting. So you have to kind of anticipate on any given flight, the pilot might not give you much time with that, you know, seatbelt sign off. And so you've got to almost like jump right to it when you can. Uh, and you know, for flights longer than three hours or so, it's, it's, it's become kind of a, a harder to predict thing about, you know, how smooth the flight might be. I think one of the reassuring bits of information I've gotten from a recent reading about this is that planes are really built to withstand even the most severe turbulence and then some. So it's not a danger to the flight itself, but it is it is risky for people that fly. And so uh, this is just one more reason why next time I'm flying, I'm going to New Orleans next month apparently, I'm going to be strapped in. Most of the time, I'm not going to be one of those people that that uh, that avoids that instruction from overhead. Uh, this is just one more reason to really pay attention and wear your seatbelt when you're flying, and to not worry too much when you do hit turbulence because uh, it is not a risk to the flight itself. Well, and that's based, and we're we're not, you know, other than your former job as the uh, lead of the FAA, uh, we're not we're not air uh, we're not pilots. We're not. So I'm not here to comment on that as much except to say uh this flight that dana hyde was on um that landed near virginia which was very close to dc where i was uh arriving friday night the same night this this uh event happened and i gotta tell you this was some of the worst turbulence i had ever experienced and i you know, i fly quite a bit uh, i was there with my fiance kendall and uh she said <laughs> she was jealous of the kids who were allowed to scream because that's kind of how bad it was. It was like, it was roller coaster, you know, like wow. people, you know, and, and when we landed, everyone clapped, which is not always, you know, what's happening. And you kind of thought like that, that was, that was worse than normal. That was not, that was not just bad turbulence. Uh, and it's just one more reminder of the kind of, you know, the, the, the in-between space where we don't always talk about the effects of the climate crisis. It's either like dust bowls and apocalypse now, and the world's going to come to an end, or it's maybe dismissed as just a, a political talking point. But that big in-between, there's a lot of just things that suck in that big in-between. And it could be really terrible plane flights. And in like we can't have wine anymore, or not as much wine. Avocados, like all these things we enjoy. That, so anyway. Well, those were alternate names for, for the Green Docs podcast, was, was things like all the little stuff that sucks that you're going to have to deal with if we don't get rid of this problem. But that just felt like too long a name to put on a website. So... But, but please write to our comment section. Tell us if we should change it. <laughs> we're, we're open. We're open discussions. Uh, okay. So we, we have a lot to get into with our interview with Dr. Lyerly. But, but first, uh, on to our recycle bin. Uh, this is both a terrible pun, uh, but also where we shamelessly recycle material from, say, pop culture or social media that caught our attention this week. Uh, so, Bruce, what are you recycling? 
You know, I'm still thinking about the Chris Rock comedy special, which he called Selective Outrage. Rather clever title and an insightful one. Um, there were a couple of things I liked. First of all, in an odd way, I kind of appreciated the fact that, that he, he uh, kind of flubbed his big joke about the slap. And uh, he showed himself to be human. And as much as I really enjoyed his comedy that night and many, many times before, it was kind of cool to see that he's like everybody else. Um, and also, the main thing that I liked was that although he really didn't need to, he really leaned into some uncomfortable topics. Obviously, the guy doesn't need to work anymore. There was no reason that he needs to go out on tour. But he actually talked about some pretty controversial stuff. He talked about woke culture. He, he definitely attached racism to the royals and gave them ownership of, of uh, this horrendous stain on human existence. Uh, he insulted freely both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, it, what got me the most uh, was he actually outed himself with his daughter and, and his ex-wife about getting her kicked out of school. And I thought that that was pretty brave. And then a little later when he flubbed the joke about the slap with Will and Jada, uh, I thought maybe maybe that was more about what he's worried about his daughter saying to him or doing to him when he gets home rather than being so worried about Will Smith anymore. But we'll never know that. Uh, anyway, ultimately, I think what he did was he demonstrated something really important and that I think we need in society, which is to talk more to people about things that we might disagree about and have those conversations, whether you do it with humor or a little bit of scotch or beer, whatever gets those conversations started, I think can only be helpful. And we do need to do that more rather than less going forward. And, and, and normalizing some context for conversations that are, that are real, right? Like I, I think one of, one of the bits of that, that stood out was that he was talking about uh, Harry and Megan's comments about the uh, questions of the baby's skin color. Uh, first of all, when we started this podcast, there were two things I thought we were not going to talk about. One was abortion. The second was Megan and Harry. And here we are. First episode, we got sucked right into it. Uh, but that was like one of the big comments, right? That, that they were, like, there was concern or, or there was some question about what color the baby would be. And Chris Rock phrased it as, you know, that's not racism. That's, that's in-law stuff. That's, you know, black people talk about that too. Wondering what uh, skin color might, baby might be. Uh, and what occurred to me listening to that was that, you know who else thinks about those things and encounters those? Is OBs. Uh, we encounter that, that moment at birth where the color of the babies, they, they, they're surprising sometimes, right? Like they kind of look like aliens. <laughs> they, are, they aren't always exactly how you think they're going to look. Uh, so I, I just appreciated that Chris Rock was kind of bringing, you know, some real conversations out of uh, context and into kind of just plain light. So, yeah, that, that was uh, that's something to recommend him to. But, Nate, what's what's up next for you? What's in your recycle bin? So this week I, I was doing as I often do, which is just replay old Aaron Sorkin uh, shows. Uh, I think The West Wing is probably his most famous and a lot of people still sit and just listen to that or watch that uh, kind of in, you know, on, on repeat. Uh, one of my favorite shows of his was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Uh, kind of one of the, it only had one season, lesser known, but phenomenal writing. And in one of the, the kind of later episodes, 
a, a power couple, a Hollywood executive played by Bradley Whitford and another a studio executive played by Amanda Peet are having their baby. And they're, they're talking about the, um, the baby's first test and how it missed, it missed a point on the, on the baby's first test, which is the APGAR test. Uh, the baby got nine out of 10. And anybody who's ever either had a baby or has worked in OB knows, you know, APGARs eight and nine, very common. Nobody ever gets 10. It's, have you ever seen a 10 APGAR in your, in your career? I think there was a baby that came out quoting Shakespeare and we were very tempted to give him a 10. <laughs> but other than that, no. Yeah. So, so you never get a 10. It's just how it is. Uh, but in this show, the fi- fictional show, these two uh, you know, very kind of high level executives were, were dismaying how their baby missed a point on the APGAR. And, and the, the mom is like, well, what did, what did she miss? Yeah, grimace, missed grimace. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the reason I liked that, uh, well, one, it's, it's OP and pop culture. That's kind of fun. But two, it kind of had me stop and think, like, who used the word grimace, right? Like, when do you ever hear the word grimace? It, never. It's not a medical term, even. And I kind of went back and read more about it. And uh, it, it's kind of a cool term, this APGAR score. Uh, because it's named after Virginia Apgar, who is a female physician uh, from Columbia. She was one of the early, early pioneers of, of anesthesia. She was directed into anesthesia because her uh, medical school mentor told her that surgery wasn't for women. You know, here we are in International Women's Month with 80% now of OBs are, are women, you know, female surgeons. But Virginia Apgar was, was told she shouldn't go into it because she was a woman. So she went into anesthesia and she created this score. And I went back and read the, the original uh, paper, and nowhere does it say grimace or some of the other phrases that are often used to describe the APGAR score. Uh, so it's an acronym. It's named after her, the APGAR score, that people have since gone back and like reverse engineered uh, an acronym. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an eponym named after her. They reverse engineered an acronym so that her name, A-P-G-A-R, was never the original setting for the score, but we've kind of recreated it to be appearance and pulse. And that's where Grimace came from. Uh, there you so, go. It's good. Na- it's a good thing. Her last name wasn't Schwartz and Watson. We <laughs> very- <laughs> would still be in deliveries, <laughs> giving baby scores. The scores would go to 15 minutes instead yes. of uh, five and 10. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, I, 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 I thought it was a, it was an interesting thing. I don't think it's very often you see an eponym reverse engineered into an acronym. Uh, and, and here on International Women's Month, we'll, we'll go ahead and highlight how, I mean, there's probably no single test that has made a bigger difference to obstetrics than the APGAR test. Uh, we, have, we have her to thank for that. Well, thanks for joining episode one of The Green Docs. Be sure to join us next episode, where we'll be speaking with Dr. Kristen Lyerly, an OBGYN, a physician advocate, and former mascot for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. She recently ran for state assembly in the Midwest, and will take us behind the scenes of that race. But she'll also tell us about a recent trip to Washington, D.C., where she and I and Hundreds of other OBGYNs descended upon the nation's capital for our annual lobbying efforts, only to see them short-circuited by a surprise twist. Stay tuned for that story. This episode, our first, of Green Docs, was written by Bruce Picard and Nate DiNicola and produced by John Beethan of ImaginePodcasting.com. Check out our website, greendocspodcast.com, where you can email us questions, 
and follow along. We hope to see you soon. Take care.